0: Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Timberlake Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. Our mission is to reach, feed, and release people to be the hands and feet of Jesus. To learn more, visit TimberlakeChurch.org. Now get ready for today's message, which we hope will be inspiring as well as challenging. Thanks for joining us. Good morning again, friends. You know, when we heard the weather report, we said, well, gosh, you know, it might snow. So we'll start our new series. We'll push it back a week. So we are not starting the, the long-anticipated series called Squeezed until next Sunday. Um, so I hope you're not terribly disappointed. But um, come back next week, and we'll get it started. We won't miss the Sunday at all. We'll just start it a week later. Uh, today we're going to talk about the discipline of love. We're going to talk about the discipline of God's love for us and this idea from Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, but before we get into that, let's play a little game. And uh, this game is called How Many of Us. And it's real easy to play. Uh, when I say something that makes sense to you and resonates with you, you just raise your hand and then you also look around and see which of your brothers and sisters that resonates with them also. Okay. I mean, I know you do that anyway, so let's just say it. Like, who, who else? Who else? Okay, so uh, how many of us, when we were kids, we got mad when mom and dad would not let us have ice cream for dinner or stay up really late at night, but then once you grew up, you realized, oh, that was a really good thing, actually, and I'm thankful for my parents. Yeah, me too. Um, How many of us uh, thought some part of school was difficult or even miserable, maybe math was hard, or you didn't like writing papers or taking tests, but you're glad you stuck with it and finally made it to graduation? Yes. Right. Me too. Um, How many of us have had a mentor in life or a grandparent or maybe a boss who told you something about yourself that you did not want to hear at the time? But after thinking about it and maybe praying about it, you realize, one, they were right. And two, you're actually glad they had the courage to tell you that hard thing. Good. So if you raise your hand any of those times, congratulations, you are developing what we like to call spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is this idea that you can accept something difficult and painful because you know it is for your good. Spiritual maturity means you would become willing to delay gratification. You know about delayed gratification? Right? I'd like to have a new car now, but instead I'll stick with my old car until I can better afford it later. That's delayed gratification. That is a sign of spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity, friends, is what happens um, when you learn to do what is good for you, even if it isn't always pleasant. And not only in your body, but also in your soul. The heart of spiritual maturity is in your soul. And it's when you place yourself under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ and begin to live his way instead of your own. And one of the key ingredients to spiritual maturity is discipline. Discipline. Spiritual discipline. What do we mean by discipline? Well, what the Bible means by discipline is correction, teaching, and training. It means instruction in the way of Jesus Christ. That is what discipline means. And I know some of us have a mental picture of discipline like some mean old boss or teacher kind of wagging their finger at you. That's not really what the Bible means by discipline. What the Bible means by discipline is training. It means education and instruction. It means showing you a certain way to live in which there are healthy boundaries around your life and around the decisions that you make and the things that you say and the things that you do. And there's a reason that we refer to the practices of the faith as disciplines, spiritual disciplines like worship. And Bible study and prayer and fasting, because these are the practices that shape you into a certain kind of person. And you may be thinking, well, that's all well and good. And I know preachers like to talk about spiritual discipline, but here's the problem with discipline nobody likes it, right? Be honest with yourself today, be honest with the Lord. Nobody likes discipline, not young people. Not older people, not Christians, not atheists, not healthy people, not unhealthy people. Nobody likes discipline. It is unpleasant, it's like yucky medicine. There's a bitter taste in your mouth, and on some level, you know you need to take it to be healthy, but man, it tastes terrible. And this is why a lot of us are giving up on our New Year's resolutions only a few weeks or a few months into the year, right? Because it's just painful, and it's suffering, and it takes sacrifice. And if you're honest, some of you, it's only the seventh day of the year. Some of you have already given up on your New Year's resolution, right? Anybody want to be honest today? <laughs> Nobody? Oh, one of you, good job. Good job. At the first service, nobody raised their hand, and I was like, all right, that's between you and the Lord, then. <laughs> so uh, here's how the Bible puts it this idea of discipline. Hebrews 12, verse 11. Now, discipline always seems painful rather than pleasant at the time, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I love this Bible verse, and one of the reasons I love it is it resonates. You read this verse, and you immediately, you're like, yep, I know that's right. You don't even have to be a follower of Jesus. You don't even have to have know anything about the Bible or even anything about the book of Hebrews. You read these words, and you're like, yep, that is true. That is a universal truth in the world. That discipline, it is unpleasant at the time, but it's actually good for us. And down the road, it produces good things. Anyone who has ever been disciplined by a parent, anyone who has ever been disciplined by a teacher or a coach or a boss or a mentor, someone gave you tough love, you know upon reading this verse immediately this is a spiritual law. This is how God has made the universe work. It's a spiritual law that discipline is no fun, and yet it's good for us. It's a spiritual law that spiritual discipline is unpleasant at the time, but later it yields fruit for those who are willing to be trained by it. And the spiritual law very simply is this. God uses pain in the present to produce fruit in the future. God uses pain in the present to produce fruit in the future. This is how it works at the gym, right? You ever go to the gym? Anybody? You have a hard workout, you sweat, you're tired, but you do that enough days in a row and enough months in a row, and you're like, hey, hey, it's working, right? And you're building the muscles and you're building the heart health. This is how it works with nutrition, right? You want a cheeseburger, but you choose broccoli instead. Maybe. I'm speaking theoretically now. You do that enough times, and your doctor says, good job, right? Your cholesterol goes down, right? You you get healthier. And it's not just true for the body, is it? It's true also for the soul. When you allow yourself to be disciplined in spiritual matters, it may not be pleasant at the time, and yet the fruit is spiritual maturity. The fruit is you are growing. You are becoming a kind of person that is reflective of the character of Jesus Christ, you in your life are reflecting and becoming more and more like Jesus. This happens through discipline. It happens through spiritual disciplines like worship, like Bible study, like prayer like fasting. These are the exercises, these are the experiences in which God promises to meet us and by his grace he forms us and shapes us to be a particular kind of person. God uses pain in the present to produce fruit in the future. Now notice we're saying God uses pain. We're not saying God causes pain. Uh, we don't typically attribute suffering to the will of God. God does not desire evil for his children, but only good. And God is at work for your good. So even if God doesn't cause your pain, God can use your pain for your own good. And this is an idea in the Bible that we call redemption, right? God takes something bad and turns it into something good. This is the story of the cross of Jesus Christ. The worst thing that happened to the Son of God has been transformed and used for the salvation of the world so that everybody who has a relationship with Jesus can experience eternal life. God uses pain in the present to produce fruit in the future. So let's see how the author of Hebrews comes to this conclusion. We're going to go backward a little in the text. Hebrews 12, verse 4. If you have your Bible, you can follow along there or on the screen. Hebrews 12, verse 4. In your struggle against sin... You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. The author of Hebrews, like the author of a number of the New Testament epistles, likes to use metaphors from athletics and from the world of the military. Okay, and so what the author of Hebrews is saying to us is look, you've been fighting, you've been battling against sin, but you're still standing, you're still alive, not yet to the point of shedding your blood. So don't give up and don't quit. Keep at it. Press on toward the goal. Keep fighting the good fight, the fight against sin, the fight in favor of holiness, because there's more to the battle. The war is not over, and there's more work for you to do. God uses pain in the present to produce fruit in the future. Next verse, verse 5, and you have forgotten the exhortation. You know what exhortation is? Exhortation is like encouragement. It's like spiritual encouragement. When God gets you to do what God wants you to do, that's exhortation. You've forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as children, my child. Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Okay, so the author is saying, don't forget, when God pushes you, when God encourages you, even when God corrects you, he does so as a parent. Why? Because you are his child. You are a child of God, and God loves you the way a father loves his children. God loves you the way a mother loves her children. And sometimes that is with discipline. And because you are his child, and because you are, he is your father, do not regard lightly his discipline. That means don't disregard it. Don't brush it off. Don't neglect it. Don't take it for granted. Understand what He's doing in your life and why He's doing it. And the next verse tells you the why. Verse 6, "...for the Lord disciplines those whom He," what? "...loves." and chastises every child whom he accepts. The Lord disciplines those whom he loves. Friends, this is an extraordinary idea. This is an incredibly countercultural idea because what the world will tell you is love is is whatever you decide love is. The world will tell you what love is is whatever feels loving. But we've already said discipline doesn't feel loving sometimes, right? We've already agreed sometimes discipline doesn't feel good, and yet, very clearly, according to Hebrews, the discipline of the Lord is His love for you. The discipline of the Lord is His love for you. Discipline is love. Again, it's hard because it doesn't feel like love, maybe, and yet it is. And we know that God uses pain in the present to produce fruit in your future. Let's chew on this idea here for a minute, friends, Uh, this idea that discipline can be love. Um, This is very countercultural, and it's strange to the world, and yet this is the understanding of the Bible when it comes to God's discipline and His love. Think about it for a mother and her child. Uh, When a mother has a toddler and that toddler learns what freedom is and I can just run out, you know, in the front yard and be crazy and be wild, you know, and that child tries to run into the street where there's traffic, what does a loving mother do? She corrects that child, right? Takes that child by the arm, maybe even spanks the bottom. Do y'all still do that? Spank your babies? No, some of you know, some of you, yes. Either way, corrects the child, right? You know what a very unloving thing to do would be? Would say, hey, kid, go ahead, do whatever you want, right? That would be very unloving because that child would hurt him or herself. So a loving mother disciplines her child for the child's own good, and so it is with your heavenly father and you. Your heavenly father disciplines you, corrects you, trains you in the way of righteousness for your good, The Lord disciplines those whom he loves. And so what I need you to understand today, friends, when it comes to the Father's love for you, there are two hands of love. God has two hands of love. And the one hand of God's love is acceptance. It is warmth and tenderness and kindness and compassion and grace, and it is unconditionally warm toward you all the time. That's one hand of God's love. The other hand of God's love is discipline. It is rules and limits. It is God's law, which has been written on your heart. It is the hand that teaches you there is a difference between right and wrong, and that you need to know the difference, and you need to practice the difference. And here's where this gets tricky. This hand, all warm and fuzzy and accepting, feels like love to us, doesn't it? And this hand may not feel very loving to you. And yet the Bible is clear both are love. Both are love. God's acceptance is his love for you, God's discipline is his love for you. Now, think about what happens if you have one without the other. What happens if all you have is discipline and no acceptance? What happens if you only have this hand of love? Well, what do you end up with? You end up with cold, harsh religion, right? You end up with a list of do's and don'ts. You end up with a disciplinarian who only seems to care about your behavior and never forgives and never accepts. That's a problem, isn't it? What if you only have this hand over here? What if you only have acceptance but no discipline? Well, this is like the Wild West, right? Oh, I can do anything I want. As long as it feels good, it must be good right? And you live under the tyranny of your own preferences. Well, that's not good either, is it? And so true love, God's love, is both hands. It is both acceptance and discipline. This is how the love of heaven works, and this is how the love of the church is supposed to work. Both are love. There's a great country and western song by an artist named Holly Dunn, She was nominated for a Grammy back in the 80s. The song is called Daddy's Hands. Y'all remember that song? Daddy's Hands. The lyrics are so good. Uh, The words say, Daddy's hands were soft and kind when I was crying. Daddy's hands were hard as steel when I had done wrong. Daddy's hands weren't always gentle, but I've come to understand there was always love in Daddy's hands. And so it is with your heavenly Father. My friends, he always loves you. He always loves you. Sometimes his love takes the form of acceptance and kindness and warmth. Sometimes his love takes the form of discipline when you need it and when I need it. What an incredible example we have, of course, in the person of Jesus, because Jesus is love incarnate. He is God in the flesh. And Jesus gives us the example of what it looks like to be perfectly loving, because Jesus was perfectly loving all the time. And yet notice in his administration of that love, it is both accepting and disciplined. How do we know that? Well, think about the story of the woman caught in adultery. You know that story? There's a story in the Bible in which a woman was caught in adultery, and some Pharisees, some religious leaders, dragged her out of the house and into the street, and they were going to punish her. And I wonder if you know what the punishment was then for for adultery. Stoning. They were going to kill her. Literally, they were going to kill her. And so they'd all picked up rocks, and they put her there in the street, and they were going to throw rocks at her. A terrible, terrible thing. Uh, So along comes Jesus. And Jesus famously says to the crowd, uh, let the one who is without sin, what? cast the first stone. And in a moment of self-awareness, all of the accusers realize, oh, wow, I'm a sinner too. And the story says, you know, they dropped their stones and they walked away. And uh, that might be the end of the story, but it's not. Because in the, in the end of this story, the scene is just Jesus and the woman there together. And now notice, Jesus has literally saved her life. Jesus' acceptance and forgiveness has literally saved her life This hand of love is so pronounced, you cannot miss it. But do you know, Jesus says something to her before they part ways. Do you remember what Jesus says to her? Go and sin no more. Discipline, right? Yes, I saved your life, dear child of God. But now your life should be different from now on because of the grace you have experienced. Let your life be a testimony to God's goodness for you. Let your life reflect the love that I have for you. Jesus, completely loving all the time, both accepting and disciplined. Notice with me this word discipline, friends. It shares the same root as the word disciple. A disciple is a follower of Jesus. Yes, we know that. A disciple is a follower of Jesus whose life is characterized by discipline. What does that mean? It means the way you live should be different from the way other people live. And from time to time, people should regard you as weird and maybe even say to you, man, that's, that's strange. Why would you do that? And your answer is, because well, I love Jesus, right? So many things that we do that put us out of step with the world around us is because our lives are to be disciplined by the grace of Jesus Christ and by the, his holiness, and by his character. And so the preacher comes up here and says to you, you need to be in worship. You need to be studying your Bible. You need to be praying each day. You need to be fasting from time to time. It's not just sort of nice recommendations. These are the disciplines that help you to become a certain kind of person in Christ. Spiritual discipline is the mark of a disciple. And so as we begin a new year, here we are, the first Sunday of the new year, I'm inviting you to make this a year of discipline, to let this year, the entire year, 2024, in your life reflect the love of God for you by how you live your life and what you choose to do with your time, that your life would be marked by discipline. I'm inviting you to submit yourself to the authority of Jesus Christ, to surrender to him, to let him be the master, let him call the shots instead of you. Now, here's the thing. In the Lord's army, there's PT every day, right? And some days you don't feel like going. And here's the catch. Nobody's going to make you go. Nobody is going to make you go. Nobody is going to make you practice the disciplines. This is why this is so challenging for mere mortals like you and me is the Lord does not thrust it upon us. Jesus says, here's the cross, Uh, you may pick it up and and carry it if you're willing. You gotta be willing. You gotta be willing. You gotta put people around you who will hold you accountable to do the things that you say you want to do. Holy friends, we call them. Life groups, we call them, where you're in a community of men and women who will hold you accountable to these spiritual disciplines, and you'll go and you'll have a tough workout spiritually, And you you will be worn out and you will be hurt because you learned some things about yourself that you really didn't want to know. But over time, you will grow. And over time, you will become more and more like Jesus. And there will be days when you don't even feel like doing it and you want to quit. But God bless you. When you stick with it, the Lord can do incredible, incredible things in your life. God uses pain in the present to produce fruit in the future. What kind of fruit? Well, the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of these things can be yours, my friends, by the grace of God when you submit to his discipline. Say amen if you can. Amen. Amen. Amen.